Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. You're listening to Excuse the Mess, the second episode of the second series. My name's Ben Corrigan, and I'm the host and creator of Excuse the Mess. And I'm delighted to be joined by Hannah Peel. She's appeared on the podcast once before, but she hasn't done the full-scale episode. And let me just explain to you, if you're unfamiliar with the uh, format of this podcast, what that is. So I spend a day with a composer, talk to them all about their music, and then in the latter part of the day, we write a piece of music together. So they bring along an instrument and we only have a few hours to make a piece of music using only that instrument without any pre-planning. As I said, Hannah has been on this podcast before. Between series one and two, she came on as an extra mess episode where we just have a conversation. We don't make any music. But I asked her then, would she do a full episode? She said yes. And she wasn't lying. She's back. I would say that a lot of the topics we would have touched on in this episode have actually been covered in the previous episode, but you won't feel like there's any gaps. And if you want to know more about Hannah, the other episode is a good place to go. We spoke in that episode about her previous albums, not the most recent, but the two before that, Mary Cassio, Journey to Cassiopeia, and then Awake But Always Dreaming, which are two fascinating albums with really interesting backstories, and I recommend checking that music in that episode out once you're done here. If the name Hannah Peel is completely new to you though, here's a little synopsis lazily stolen directly from her website. Emmy nominated and RTS winning composer with a flow of solo albums and collaborative releases, Hannah joins the dots between science, nature and the creative arts through her explorative approach to electronic, classical and traditional music. Yes, as I say, if you want to know more, check out the previous episode. In this episode, we talk about her score for the official Game of Thrones documentary, which I'm sure is a topic lots of you can get behind. We also discuss her latest album, which is a collaborative album with poet Will Burns. That album is called Chalk Hill Blue, and the title track of that album is actually bubbling away underneath. Hannah's music, especially through the guise of Mary Cassio, has a certain cosmic quality to it, so we also talk at the very end about a special commission she got uh, for the 50th anniversary of the moon landing. So yes, lots of chat enclosed, and before we get going, just a thank you to those that need to be thanked. Firstly, thanks to you for checking out this episode. I'm pretty confident that you're going to have a really enjoyable listen, hearing Hannah's music and hearing what she has to say about it all. A big thanks to Acast, who now host this podcast and have been incredibly supportive. And of course, thanks to Arts Council England, PRS Foundation and Isotope Audio for getting behind Excuse the Mess. Right, on with the podcast... This is episode 11 featuring the wonderful Hannah Peel. Your episode last time was very popular. Oh, yeah. really? Yeah, it got a lot of love. Really? Yeah, definitely. Oh. And I've had a lot of friends say, how did I not know who Hannah Peel was? I love her music now. Oh. Um, yeah. So how do we approach this one? Because we've obviously done one where we've talked about quite a lot of the behind the scenes and we talked a lot about concepts of records and so yeah we don't necessarily need to talk about those things again but since november you've been very busy oh yeah so there's plenty of things to talk about yeah a lot has happened and in recent times congratulations thank you an emmy nomination (laughs) how bizarre is that it's not bizarre at all (laughs) emmy nominated composer (laughs) sat right here (laughs) yeah oh insane so so insane you joined the iconic Game of Thrones world. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, to score the documentary, The Last Watch. The Last Watch, yeah. Yeah. Um, well, how does it feel to get the nomination for your score? Um, well, obviously, it's 
a massive honour, but also just... I just think keep thinking it's a fluke and someone's just going to like wake me up and go, no, you didn't. <laughs> it's just a bit of a dream. Yeah. We were just messing with you. But I think, you know, when you always feel like you're, I always say like, I always do feel like an underdog because I've always done things against the grain. Like mm. I've always, you know, Mary Cassio album, doing stuff with electronic brass bands and then doing an album about, you know, Alzheimer's and living with dementia and it's always stuff that is against the grain which makes you become or that people attach that word innovative innovative to you but it that you are an outsider like Mm. you are not you know I'm not on a label always been that kind of like person going hey yeah yeah (laughs) but I think my resistance and just keeping going and not stopping has been so yeah so for someone to then acknowledge you and as and as big as the Emmys is like it's more than a dream come true because you know like at most I was like god I love a Mercury nomination one day you know like that's that was the level I was not like Emmy level I'd never ever even thought it would come close but um I guess obviously the Game of Thrones thing is a massive a massive thing and the documentary itself was really powerful and really beautiful Mm. and so it was a real pleasure to be part of that and to write the music for it because yeah. it wasn't just like a documentary. It was like scoring for a feature film in a, in a way because it was two hours long and a lot of the... It wasn't like kind of like, oh, and here's the person sat here being interviewed. Yes. It was, you know, in the dirt and the mud and the rain of Northern Ireland in the middle of filming, watching the actors and the directors and everybody struggle with night shoots for yeah. months on end. Yeah. There was even like the prosthetics team, the couple that run that and they have a little girl and they didn't see her for weeks or keep it in touch on FaceTime and things. So um, it was a really emotional film in a sense rather than a documentary. So anyway, that gave me a lot of scope to not just underscore dialogue, but then actually to be able to, you know, the scenes where the extras are running and screaming and going into battle and necks are being slit and, you know, gruesome things, you know, I was allowed to then kind of go for it with big drums drums, and synthesizers (laughs) and strings and be allowed to do that, have the freedom, which in a documentary usually you, you wouldn't. No, a lot of documentary music is quite safe, but what you were doing was not drama. safe yeah it was yeah it was drama it mm. is it, as you say it's not a traditional documentary it doesn't have those talking head tropes and that kind of thing no. I, I found it a bit like um an extended extras you know this <laughs> yeah it's, like it's an exactly extent, yeah. like that and it's funny as well my favorite bit is like the white walkers i like sat trying to eat the, yes. the lunch oh from God. the canteen yeah. and because they're covered in prosthetics yeah. the food just drops yeah. on their lap and they can't get it in their mouth <laughs> and like people looking for severed heads where's the severed head yeah, yeah. <laughs> any severed head will do yeah. just need a severed head those relationships with all the people behind the scenes and the actual stars like I was thinking that they're, they're like the extras they barely get a look in yeah and Jeannie Finley the directors I think she's I mean her and the editor Alice they had 950 hours of footage to Crazy. break down to two oh my god so they spent months and months editing sitting in a room I together bet. plotting and and they had like yeah. their focus I think Jeannie's plan was you know you've got the seven families of the world of game of thrones so she wanted to find seven characters ah. in behind the scenes that she could focus on cool and and talk through their journey but finding those seven and focusing on which yeah. seven because yeah. she i think she had started off with maybe 15 to 20 yeah and then you whittle it down yeah was yeah I mean, a big task i suppose you do need to have that parallel with the actual show yeah seven families seven characters that's quite a nice yeah. way to limit yourself and focus in on the story 
Yeah, and she and my direction, she was really fantastic to work for. Like, yeah. really amazing. And you know, the first thing that I when I went to see the first very rough edits, went to the office in Nottingham where she's based above a cinema. Cool. You know, and saw like the, the things that you're not allowed to take a picture of or talk about or anything is yeah. so top secret. Yeah. <laughs> um, but her like you know direction was to me was I need loads of things that are to do with the weather. So, you know, rain, snow, ice, just everything you can think of, different weather varieties, yeah. and which was a really amazing way to approach composing because yeah. some of the things that I've worked on before and actually worked on at the moment, I'm not given anything. I'm just told, write some tense music. And you're like, well, okay, that's fair enough, write some tense music. But if you're a visual person and you write visually, it's really hard to just come up you know obviously you can come up with stories in your head and stuff yeah. but to have a director saying this is the temperature that I need yeah. and this is it was really good and free as well yeah um so I loved it so you know I went to town on quite a few tracks and just yeah. totally blasted you know gave her things <laughs> that actually we've never used that I thought were great but that yeah. she just didn't fit the film yeah. and mostly because they were synthesizer based and actually what happened was a lot of the tracks that I sent initially, because they were electronic, they didn't have that handmade, raw feel, sure, an yeah. emotional feel that you yeah. need for telling a story like that. And actually it was the kind of more gentle piano and cello. sort of were able to tap into your folksy side I think for yeah. a lot of those cues a lot like a lot of your earlier records and things you were kind of using those sounds and feelings instrumentation yeah, yeah it yeah. was really weird because I had a real resistance to doing that because you don't you don't really want to step backwards you always want to keep moving forwards course, and yeah. on a trajectory that you are wanting to explore more as well mm. you're kind of stepping back so actually it was quite a hard thing for me to do initially yeah. like I had to then go get rid of your ego sure, and get rid of yeah. that and then go back. And obviously the music box is a big part of that because, yeah. you know, the music box is something that I've used a lot and I use live, but I tend to not record it that yeah. much because it takes so long, A, to do, but then also on top of that, it's also a sound and a certain era mm. of when I first started writing. Yeah, definitely. But that, I think, you know, that's the initial conversation that Jeannie had was, We've got this incredible tapestry, hand-woven tapestry of the whole of season eight. And they've done it for all the seasons. But ah. you can go visit in Ulster um, Museum in Belfast. Right, cool. And um, she was like, it's going to work beautifully with the music box. And I was like, okay. <laughs> so, yeah, so yeah. we managed to get the permission off the original composer and, and make it into a music box. Fantastic, yeah, which opens the film.
It's interesting you're talking about reluctant to step back though into the sounds of your yesteryear because there is like a definite trajectory and evolution of you as an artist. In fact, if you followed it, the music box is featured less and less. And then the folky instrumental side of things also gets kind of pulled back a bit and the synths take over. There's a crossfade with synths yeah. um, and a, a deeper sort of darker Resonance, world. Yeah. yeah. It sounds like that's quite intentional from what you're saying. Yeah, it worked like that. Yeah. yeah it just seemed to manifest like that. I think Deanie was a lot more up for including it whereas initially her kind of like was no this is not working you know you need to strip everything off this okay. and so actually a lot of the tracks I then kept you know the same melodies or chord sequence or feel but then I replaced a synth with a flute or I'd replaced mm, okay. so you so it still felt like I was retaining some of the work that I'd already done but yeah. then stripping it right back yeah and you know like even actually I don't know why I did this but <laughs> I had, I've got an auto, I have a guitar in my studio <laughs> looking at me and I was like, I really need a guitar. And I, I'd forgotten that I had even guitar in the room. So I was like, right, well, what's the closest? <laughs> I'll get my auto harp. So I sampled every note on the auto harp, no. made a library out of the auto cool. harp and then put that through like all the guitar effects, pedals in Logic, yeah. in Sound Toys and, and then made myself a guitar. And then after I'd done it all, I went, oh shit, I've got a guitar. <laughs> I suppose it does create that kind of otherworldly sound that doesn't sound like a guitar, it doesn't sound like an autohap, so it does have that sort of element of Hannah in there. And is every piece, I know there's like a couple of sync tracks, I think there's like a Leonard Cohen yeah. track and something else, but other than those, everything is yours. Yeah, there's even a yeah. song that I wrote as well in there. Ah, okay. Um, and sang. Um, I say that because the scenes, which are like action scenes that you'd scored, part of me thought like, oh, this is using some footage from the show, so maybe they've used the music from the show. It just synced so well, that's what I mean. Oh, so so you good. scored like those things where it jumps between behind the scenes. Yeah. Cool. Well, yeah, yeah, it's just so seamless. And it must have been fun to be able to be so diverse. Do you know what? I loved jobs. it. Yeah, it was fantastic. I've never had that much freedom on something in terms of when you're working with someone. And I mean, like in a strange sort of freedom, because Jeannie was you know, obviously very direct in what she wanted and needed. Yeah. But also, you know, as soon as I sent something, she's like, yeah, perfect done uh, you know what I mean there was no yeah. kind of like making me feel bad or me being yeah, like yeah. upset about oh god that's <laughs> I can't write that kind of thing yeah. you know like the, the normal insecurities that you have when you're composing and somebody asks something of you that you feel like gee that's a challenge yeah it, it really felt like every moment of it was fun and so I suppose even the fact that it's been nominated for an Emmy maybe that's what's come across maybe that kind of freedom and fun and you know, really playing to the picture in that sense.
It sounds like it was quite a successful collaboration. You might not be able to say anything about the future. I don't know. I think she's having a break, but if she does, (laughs) I'd love to work with her. Yeah, cool. All right. If you're listening, Jeannie. She might be so in demand now, she might not want to. (laughs) But um, no, yeah, I'd love to. So we're we're both going to LA to go to the awards together. And because it's the only thing that's been nominated, there's only... Yeah, oh, right, so okay. it's just Jeannie and I. Oh, well, great. You know. That's nice. It's yeah. nice that you've picked her. Yeah. I guess that's the right thing to do. Definitely. And yeah. we'll have a good time because she loves getting dressed up like I do. And we love I getting So she loves getting wasted. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so we'll have a great time getting our makeup and hair and everything dolled cool. up. And great. Yeah. Ah. It'll be good. I mean, best of luck to you. I guess by the time this goes out, it, we'll know. This will be in October. So, yeah, best of luck. And I'll do a little voiceover to say which way it went. But, yeah, Ooh. fingers crossed. Well, the Emmys happened and it wasn't Hannah's day. But to get the nomination itself is just an incredible achievement. So congratulations on that, Hannah. I'm sure there'll be plenty more lofty nominations coming your way in the not-so-distant future. For now, let's listen to The Quarry, a cue from Hannah's Emmy-nominated score. to have an Acast ad break which you may or may not hear. When we come back after the Acast jingle sounds we're going to be dropping into the world of Chalk Hill Blue, Hannah's collaborative album with poet Will Burns. Starting off by listening to a track called Ridgeway. Hey I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Ridgeway. It could be the dogs announce your visit. It could be her birds. However it happens, she knows and opens red wine, puts out a bowl. Outside in the fields, the second hay crop cut and turned, a fading day. Dirt that might have been yours to own, an inheritance held in seed.
Chalkill Blue. That's another thing you've been up to since we last spoke. Beautiful album. Thank Incredible you. and very different. I've not listened to an album like that ever before. I, not to say that it doesn't necessarily exist, but like in a full album form, I've not heard anything like that. Really? So, yeah. If I have missed obvious things, please do tell me. There may be others. I haven't got a reference for it at all, I guess. Yeah. I mean, we didn't start it like that. It's a really interesting process to yeah. make a record like that. I suppose the only thing that's... There's been a couple of suggestions that it might sound like something, but the closest for me, and even that is not very close because it's improvised, but Patti Smith did, I think it's called The Coral. So close. It's called The Coral Sea. Uh, which was a, a live performance of her reading with music. And I guess in some ways the feel of that is slightly similar. And it was the, But it was the only thing I really had a reference point to. But we didn't know we were going to make a record, so... Yeah. So tell me about where you first met Will and how that dynamic and collaboration developed. Yeah, so, OK, Will, he, he's an amazing poet. Yes. He's fantastic. Yeah. And... <laughs> What I love about Will the most is he is so sensitive and can write these beautiful... Basically, he's like a musician in that sense. He's a... You know, poetry is music. He can create a world within his art form and yeah. and it's stunning. And yet he is like also like a lad. Like, you know, <laughs> loves footy, loves cricket, loves drinking... And, you know, always up for a laugh and, yeah. and a, a kind of a good rant about stuff. And yeah. then he writes this delicate poetry that's like, where did that come from? Sure, yeah. So he's really good fun to hang out with as well and to do an album with. And his, like, previous experience of music as well is his father set up all the Rough Trade shops. So ah. he's grown up for, since he was born in cool. Rough Trade he knows about music. His only ever employer has basically been his dad. Right. Because <laughs> he grew up working in the shops. And even now, his dad sold on his part of the, the shop and owns a pub and now Will works in the pub. Really? So, oh, that's so nice. <laughs> um, but his knowledge of music is wonderful. So he has a really innate musical sense about mm. him as well. And I think he, like, had a rap band at some point. Obviously, you yeah. can tell. He's <laughs> got that vibe. <laughs> But anyway, hip-hop, yeah, <laughs> hip-hop aside, he does not come across like that anymore. <laughs> but um, he had written a beautiful poem called Out of Doors, which is actually now the first track on the record. And in 2016, when we did the launch of Awake But Always Dreaming album, as part of that launch, it was in association with Alzheimer's Research UK, who I really adore because of their work with the scientists and trying to find and fund cures so, you know, that they support a lot of people. So the night was in support of them, even though we were launching an album. And it was at St. Leonard's Church in Shoreditch. Yeah. Um, and part of that night was we had some film screenings and things, but then also we had Christopher Eccleston come and read poetry because of his father. Mm. And his father had lived with dementia as well. So we kind of all collated some poems and he chose some. And one one of them was Out of Doors by Will Benz. And it was just a beautiful, it was one of the most kind of poignant poems for me. Um, And Will was local, you know, to East London where I was living at the time. And so we met up and said, let's at some point get together or think about something. Anyway, two years later, we eventually <laughs> yeah. managed to meet up. Because, you know, when you don't know somebody, actually, it's quite hard to initially... Yeah. So Erland Cooper was in the studio and I said, look, can we invite Will over? Can you record? And we'll just see what comes out. I'll play and write. Mm-hmm. And we did it, the three of us, in terms of Will would come over. And on the first session, he brought this huge pad of poetry. Right. So massives of like poems in back catalogue, and you know to, that nervous energy that you have when you first meet somebody, and how do you collaborate? Yeah, was kind of quelled because of Erland in the middle, kind of saying that one's great, this is great, or whatever, yeah. you know, and enabling that to happen as yeah. kind of the master wizard. Sure. In the session to that, you know, get rid of any nerves or any anxiety or. Mm. Anyway, it's quite nervous sitting in a room and reading someone your poetry because actually it's really sensitive as of course, well. Yeah. So and, um, and you hadn't even gone for like a preemptive coffee or tea or something. No. 
So straight in the studio. Straight yeah, in. of course, that's that big. Yeah. We did it like three hours. We'll see what comes out of the end of three hours. Mm. And then that's it. You know, we're not doing any more. We'll just see about okay. this one track or yeah. two tracks or whatever. So it started and I just played something on like a, uh, I think I used a Jupiter 4 synthesizer and it's got an amazing portamento on the yeah. Jupiter and arpeggiator as well. And I just played something and he was like, Wills and was like, oh, I've got something that will suit this tone. Out of doors. We knew sun up as mosquito time, playing itself out in a damp wood and the madness, really, of a dawn chorus being taped. Our field recordings made, so we might never lose a thing. Later, emptying his house, I found the tape machine, hit the play button, and watched the acetate spool through the rollers, the ribbon taut against the tape heads, the cap stand still running, still keeping perfect time. It's a weekly hour I spend now, noting the changing greens of his nursing home garden. He cannot grasp what it is I have played him, how the report of birdsong swells into the spaces left between us, sitting here in this, his last and lighted room. Then that just kicked it off and it was either the music that kind of inspired his choice of the poetry, the rhythm, Mm -hmm. he spoke it at as well, whether that went over what I'm playing or not. And then also if he was reading something, then I would also react to what he was reading. So it was a really quick collaboration. And in that three hours, we'd done three pieces. Had you? That's amazing. Yeah. So he he had a selection of pre-written poems, but you were basically coming up with everything on the spot. Yeah. Which were the three in the first session? Do you remember? Oh, my God. Um, Well, Out of Doors, for sure. I think Afterwards Mm -hmm. and Summer Blues, because before he'd arrived, I'd just sat and just written this riff on the piano and I was like, well, whatever happens, at least I've got something to fall back sure. on. Yeah. But actually, when I started to play the chords, which were very much kind of like an Eric Satie type structure in yeah. that sense, um, he was like, I've got this poem, Summer Blues, that'll fit over it beautifully, and it did. summer blues, the blue wall and the house holding here like a burr in the shade of Shiver Hill, the begging and begging for you to build again, this time something cool and that will last and high up in the trees, but you aren't the man exactly you appear to be that first night on Prospect Street. So the hard mornings after, mornings of frying eggs in a skillet, spitting oil against the wall, blue as a chalk hill blue, a crust of ladybirds inked dead in the kitchen window, and guitar strings that might rust to blue or ring forever. And my nights like a praying drunk, smashed and alone and falling asleep, Watching YouTube clips of catfish rising and taking pigeons, teal, a dog even, off the water's broken surface. This kind of deep dark is all I will ever earn.
sounds like you were completely on the same wavelength. Yeah. And how many more sessions did you have after uh, that? We did three more. So we did 12 hours, nine hours together. And then I booked a woodwind player for a three-hour yeah. session. Who is fantastic. Guy Passy? Yeah. Right. Amazing. He's amazing. I too. love the parts that you'd written. Layering of everything is just really fantastic and beautifully played. Even that in itself wasn't scored. Like, I didn't give him the part. Oh, okay, so... I'd gone through it and mapped it. Like, you know, like how you maybe draw chunks, you know, in my mind. I'd gone right up two minutes. I want this kind of, uh, for example, the nightlife. You've got this woodwind that goes bum, 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 bum. And I just said, I want that, and I kind of want it on that note. And then we just did it in the room, rather than me going, here is a part, and this is what you'll play. Wow. Um, Unusual. Yeah, the whole thing was really unusual. But I guess you need a really responsive player to be able to do that. Yeah, yeah and like... I've worked with him before and know he's not so restrictive. Yeah. Like he, he'll, he'll happily improvise around what yeah. you give him. Yeah, some players might be a little bit like snooty about that sort of thing. Why aren't you printing off a piece of paper for me? Yeah, right. yeah. yeah I know. I've experienced those players. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, definitely yeah. avoid that kind of musician. Yes. But, um, but I think... One of the things that I've really enjoyed about the Chalk Hill Blue, and actually more so when we took it live, because obviously recording is one thing. And like when you make any record, you do a recording and you, you're in that room, but then when you take it live, it's got a different essence altogether. Yeah. So um, when we took it live, that was when it started to feel like what we created was something that was different, if that makes sense like mini film scores to yeah. Will's poetry. Yeah. I don't know if you have continued this throughout your touring, but when I saw it at Cecil Sharp House, you had this insane surround sound rig. Oh, yeah. To do that kind of setup is a dream come true, isn't it? Yeah. And that was only our second gig, so it was still quite like nerve-wracking mm. in order like, how do we do this? <laughs> but I met the guys that run D&B at Wormad Festival. They run a stage there and they have it in surround sound at on the stage Ah, in the tent and they were like do you have any projects that you'd want to work on with us the first thing that came to mind was obviously Chalk Hill Blue but actually the plan was to do it in the round so we would be in the centre a little bit like if you can imagine I wanted for us to not have this world where here's the poetry and here's the music yeah and because it was so magnetic I suppose in the studio and I wanted to make it feel like you were that kind of person in the studio with us, mm. making that with us at the same time. You know, that feeling of like we're all in this together, more immersive. So from the word go, when I spoke to Will about, you know, the idea of like how do we present this, I'd said, I think we should do it, you know, if we can, we'll do it in the round. And also we'll set this stage, we'll have a table, we'll have two stools, I'll be on one side, mm. you'll be on the other We'll be interacting with each other. So there was always that element of wanting to be immersive. So when D&B said, we can do this, I was like, oh, my God. Was it like 40 speakers you had? Yeah, 40. It's insane. You can fly the woodwind round the room. And the initial plan was to have Will's voice coming out of the centre speakers so Mm. that you felt like you were kind of next to him. But, yeah, we've definitely grown since that first performance. Oh right, yeah. You've gigged it quite a lot actually, haven't yeah. you? Yeah. I've had more confidence as the shows have gone on to improvise as well, so I've been more able to enjoy each piece fully. Yeah. You know, like my improvisations are longer, they're more fluent and they're a bit more dramatic rather than I was so safe in the first one because you don't yeah. know the extent yeah. to which you can push it mm. and also then you're aware that Will's sat on stage as well <laughs> so but now I'm like I don't care I'm just like we're in this world and he's you know he can just pretend he's writing or doing something sure and I yeah. see when we were rehearsing it was really funny because I wanted him to do more of the acting side yeah and he was like Poets don't act. <laughs> so, and I was like, give it a do. You know, like, think of John Cooper Clark. He's like, yeah. he's a performance poet. But Will was like, no, I'm not that. <laughs> so so actually we have these, like, moments where we, we are quite choreographed because we know that at that point we're going to look at each other. At this point we're going to stand up together. Yeah. At this point we're both going to sit down. Um, 
and somebody called Will the other day when we did a festival pop-up Will. He just like <laughs> pops up on certain cues <laughs> and, and he likes to have a drink on stage as well. So he yeah. has an array of drinks. Yeah, an array. Yeah. I mean, there's an array of beer references in the poetry as well. Yeah. 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 That's got to be part of it. I think, yeah. you know, living, working in a pub at the moment, but then also growing up in a pub probably yeah. as well. So. The very last bit is February. Yeah. And the very last line is something like, the map on my phone tells me that I am 15 minutes away from a drink and that's all the news I can handle. Is he all right? <laughs> oh, yeah, he's totally Good. fine. But I think it's that projection of breaking down of a person and how they deal with it on a day-to-day basis, but also the breakdown of society and, and nature. And the Chalk Hill Blue itself is a butterfly. used to be quite common on the Chalk Hills of Buckinghamshire yeah. is now rare, like very rarely would you see one. And so there, there's an essence of those poems not only referencing man himself yeah. and the day-to-day dealing of that in a urban and residential society where there isn't much scope for you to go much further. Mm. There isn't much in terms of employment. You know, the high street is dying. He sees those people come into the pub every day, yeah. buy drinks, you know, and, and that is their kind of life force. You know, like that's the thing they look forward yeah. to. End of job, go to the pub. February. I could forget it all on evenings like this. The names, addresses, even our relations. Everything could be taken by the lights of the town in this weather. The process has something to do with the buildings their vernacular of flint and brick, but there is also the matter of the people. How many there are? Do we know? Can we trust the data? The dogs at the borders, lapping it up, must surely just have their own reasons. And there are dogs, wherever a line is drawn. The map on my phone tells me, not just location, but that I am quarter of an hour from a drink, and that is all the news I can handle. The chalk hills themselves are beautiful, and I suppose a lot of the record as well, whilst talking about the kind of more human consumption and our materialistic values, the, the chalk hills are entrenched with history and the way that, you know, the paths have been worn down by feet. Mm. You know, those this kind of like tunnels that you get that are just basically carved out by people walking for thousands of years across them like you know like carrying food or animals or or just going from one town to another yeah and so there's a there's a real sense of like the I suppose the elect the choice of electronic music fitted really well because it gave you that kind of otherworldly view and that industrialization of something mm-hmm. as well the kind of breaking down of things so it seemed to work really well and actually on Will's behalf he said that he didn't understand any of I mean we were basically very much separate in our art forms like I didn't yeah. tamper with his poetry and he didn't tamper with the music and yeah. one of the things he said to me was that had it been like that I played guitar or something he probably would because he's from that world yeah you know, he loves country music. He's a massive country music fan. Yeah. <laughs> like, so for him to come and do an electronic music record was a real kind of like, I have no idea what's going on. Sure. You just do your thing. Kind yeah. Of, which was really refreshing. So I suppose that in itself is a new way of approaching writing for nature. And the use of woodwind is a really beautiful way to tie in that, you know, electronic and nature Before I tell you the name of the track, just take a moment to soak in the music and picture what scene or environment it's trying to paint. For me, all of this album conjures up a lot of vivid imagery.
track is called Nightlife and hopefully whatever was in your head syncs up with that nicely. Let's do the same thing with the next track. Will's going to say the title of the track pretty quickly though, so you've only got a few moments of intro to paint your picture. Spring dawn on Mad Mile. There is no weather yet to define the day in those terms. No brightness or structural shadow has revealed the line or flesh of anything. The wood, the river, the guest house. You could be dreaming of the curtain and the breeze across your back, of the outdoors the heat, or the bird song that appears to be everywhere, reports upon a sense of the unfamiliar that this hour alone is burdened with, that spreads like leakage that becomes a drone. of the first part of Hannah's episode. Don't forget that there's a music making bit to check out too where we use the famous music box as our one and only instrument. To top off this part, we're going to dip into the more cosmic side of Hannah's music. The moon in all its splendour. 50 years, moon landing celebrations. Yeah. Um, Electronic Sound got in touch and said that they were doing a special edition limited 7-inch vinyl just for the magazine, so... It's not available online or anything like that. Mm. But they also gave me the original kind of recordings of the Apollo 11 mission. And so I just lifted out some of the like the lines that were really lovely that kind of referred to the moon, you know, in itself. They're kind of like chat of how it felt to be up there. And one of the lines was, there's the moon in all her splendor. And I yeah. just thought that was a beautiful title. Yeah. So I chose that and used a lot of the Mary Cassio samples of the brass and then resampled it yeah. again so it created a really nice loop. So that loop is just there from one of the tiny section of Mary Cassio. I see. And just kept it very bleak and, I suppose, beautiful. There was one bleak. element. Because yeah. um, I, I once saw a play about Michael Collins, who was the third astronaut that didn't land on the moon, that kept it flying so he went round the dark side of the moon and he was on his own and at that time he was kind of like the furthest human away from any other human the human race in the world wow in the universe by himself yeah by himself on this dark side of the moon so um waiting to go and pick up the others and i just thought that was a really beautiful imagery so kind of was making the track yeah it sounds like mary cassio hat fully went back on yeah and it was really nice to hear more of that because it's one of my favorite things is the mary cassio stuff oh, thank um you. actually one like technical compositionally thing do you often like take a one of the brass band instruments and blend it in unison with one of your synths yeah i do that quite a lot actually because i kind of like to blend what you're hearing so you're not either hearing a brass band or hearing a synthesizer yeah. so you just feel like you're getting both at the same time yeah it gives it that otherworldly feel as well. It doesn't totally. mean that you're keeping it all separate. It's just one entity, one journey, one kind of planet, yeah. and one moon.
don't know why you're not scoring the biggest sci-fi films yet. <laughs> I just don't understand because it's cult record. That's why. Uh... It's like one of those records that nobody's going to know and or love, apart from a few, for like another twenty, thirty years. No, it's just so <laughs> fitting. It's ridiculous. Like I don't know, Kubrick would have been into your stuff. Oh, yeah. wouldn't that be amazing? Totally. He would have loved I'd love it. to have worked. Oh, my God. Wouldn't that be the dream, yeah. right? Yeah. Seriously, though, I can't believe the offers aren't flying in because it's just so brilliantly, <laughs> like, evocative. And, um, you know, I'd just come back from a holiday. You mentioned in our previous podcast that uh, you were reading Carlo Rovelli's Seven oh, yeah. Brief Lessons yeah, in, in, in Physics. physics. Um, yeah, so I took that on a holiday and I was listening to your music, listening to Journey's wow. Cassiopeia with that and... And did it match? It, yeah, so well. Like, it's yeah. fantastic just thinking about those giant concepts. It's really good to write to a book. I find it's really... gives you a bit of grounding. Because otherwise, when you're writing music, you feel like you can drift off and not necessarily be in the right place sometimes. Or, you know, or you start to question yourself. Whereas if you've already got a kind of basis of something, then... You've got it to bounce back and forth on yeah. all the time. That's really interesting, actually, because I know that a lot of writers will write to music, so it's interesting yeah. to flip that on its head and write music to a book. Were you using that as, like, a structural reference point? Um, no. I think once I had the idea about Mary Cassio, my structural reference was just, in my head, a short story about her. So I suppose, in a sense, it is literature, but it was very much, there she is, and then she leaves Earth. And in the first piece, there was, like, the sounds of more earthy sounds. But there were some, like, chime bells that I'd recorded in L.A. That was the kind of feeling of, like, you're leaving planet. Yeah. And then you're off. Yeah. And then, the, you know, you travel through a nebula and then you see Andromeda and then you, you mm. get to the planet of past souls in the end. But it was really nice to be able to have my own imagination of who she is and where she is yeah. as a structure. Yeah. I haven't done that before. So Carla Rovelli's just played a small part in it in that it gave me the kind of factual background. So it gave me the grounding that I needed to I go, see. this yeah. is okay, I can do this. Yeah. There's the scientific knowledge behind it and yeah. away you go. So I've read this latest one about time, but it's so complicated. It's read by um, Cumberbatch, but it's all to do with how time doesn't exist. It's just something mm. we've placed into our society yeah. about the way we view time you know like if you live high up a mountain you're on a different time zone to yeah. what you are at the bottom of the mountain like your time moves faster or slow depending on where you are so you know what is time then if you're in one part of the the world that's moving faster there you go always finish on a bit of science and space chat Thank you for downloading and listening to this episode. I was so pleased to get Hannah back onto the podcast to do a full day proper Excuse the Mess episode. Do make sure you check out the music making part of it because I think we're both really happy with how that track came out. Always brilliant to talk to Hannah. So thanks, Hannah. You're a bit of a legend. So thank you for coming back to the podcast and being your usual interesting self. If you want to keep track of Hannah news, you can visit her website, which is hannahpeel.com. She's quite big on Twitter nowadays. So follow her at hanpeel.com. If you want to follow Excuse the Mess Things, there's the website, etmpodcast.com, on Twitter, etmpod, and Instagram, etmpodcast. Thanks again for checking this out. Do all the sharing and liking and tweeting and subscribing if you enjoyed what you heard and think other people might enjoy it too. Of course, thank you to Acast for hosting this podcast. And just before we go, I'd mentioned a few minutes back that I was listening to Hannah's music whilst on holiday at the same time as reading Carlo Rovelli's Seven Brief Lessons on Physics. So I had this idea for the outro of this episode and it was to attempt to recreate as best I can that experience for you. So underneath you're hearing Sunrise Through the Dusty Nebula which is from Hannah's Mary Cassio Journey's Cassiopeia album and I'm going to layer on top an extract of his audiobook where he reads from Seven Brief Lessons on Physics and I actually emailed him to ask for his blessing on these plans and he replied and said yeah. So thank you Carlo, I wasn't expecting that. The growth of our knowledge continues, and with improved instrument, it is soon learned that the solar system itself is only one amongst a vast number of others, and the sun is no more than a star like others, an infinitesimal speck in a vast cloud of 100 billion stars, the galaxy. 
1930, however, precise measurements by astronomers of the nebulae, small whitish clouds between the stars, showed that the galaxy itself is a speck of dust in a huge cloud of galaxies, which extends as far as the eye can see using even our most powerful telescopes. The world has now become a uniform and boundless expanse. Through the Hubble telescope, a dusting of vaster distance dot appears. Each black dot is a galaxy containing a hundred billion suns similar to ours. In the past few years, it has been observed that the majority of these suns are orbited by planets. There are therefore, in the universe, thousands of billions of billions of billions of planets such as Earth. But this endless uniformity, in turn, is not what it seems. As I explained in the first lesson, space is not flat, but curved. We have to imagine the texture of the universe uh, with its splashes of galaxies being moved by waves similar to those of the sea, sometimes so agitated as to create the gaps which are black holes. And finally, we now know that this immense elastic cosmos, studded with galaxies and 15 billion years in the making, emerged from an extremely hot and dense small cloud. To represent this vision, we no longer need to draw pictures of the universe, but to draw its entire history. The universe began as a small ball and then exploded to its present cosmic dimensions. This is our current vision of the universe, on the grandest scale that we know. Is there anything else? Was there something before? Perhaps yes. I'll talk about it after a couple of lessons. Do other similar universes exist? Or different ones? We do not know. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.